Welcome to the Brody Sattva Podcast. I'm Enoch Daniel. Like a lot of men of a certain age, my good friend Sosh and I felt a sense of dissatisfaction. We're settled and successful, but we also have our struggles and personal demons. For the past couple of years, we've been on a journey to become better men. By that, I mean better husbands, better fathers, better human beings, just better at this thing called life. And now we've decided to share that journey with you and invite you along for the ride. We'll be speaking with each other, as well as others, with wisdom to share, and hopefully some of you. We're here to ask the important questions, such as, how can we be better men and still tell dick jokes? And what can a couple of bros learn about the path to enlightenment anyway? Let's find out and become better together. Get jacked on mindfulness, philosophy, mental health, and connection, starting right now. Hello, everyone. This is Enoch Daniel. Welcome to the Brody Sattva Podcast. Today, we are delighted to share a conversation with a good friend of mine, Jonathan Rudner. Jonathan is just an all-around great guy. He's kind. He's smart. He's really funny. He's sort of my own personal definition of a real minch. Jonathan grew up in Memphis, Tennessee, He attended Tulane University for his undergrad education and then went on to the University of Memphis Law School. After graduating, he practiced family law for several years before finally moving into his family business. Now, this business isn't just some little mom-and-pop shop. It's a large manufacturing company. They make hair products. He started in sales and then moved his way up until when his father retired, he became the CEO. So he's an incredibly successful guy who has every reason in the world to be just as stressed and wrung out as the rest of us. You'll hear me mention this later in the podcast, but Jonathan, more than anyone I know, is just comfortable in his own skin. He moves through the world with a level of confidence that I frankly envy. You can hear throughout the conversation how Sosh and I are just amazed at how together he is. He seems to have it figured out a lot better than the two of us do. (laughs) Later in the conversation, he also flips the mic on me and asks me about my own journey and whether I've found peace and satisfaction in that. And please stick around to the end of the conversation when we get interrupted by his lovely wife, Alex, and... A bit of miscommunication leads to some hilarious awkwardness. So without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Would you say that you're a good influence or a bad influence? Oh, Jesus. Uh, so I'll tell you what, it, that's, that's a very interesting question. It is a very, very interesting question because in all truth, uh, the most horrible, we're the, we are the most horrible influences on each other, and yet it seems like we're, now we're the saving graces for each other. So, uh, yeah, I think, one- I, I think, uh, as we've grown, there's been a, a shift and uh, for the better, <laughs> I would say, uh, yeah. we haven't really hung out to test this theory though. Yeah. We, we still must. It's, it's a lot easier. Via, it's a lot easier to be good via zoom. 
But yeah. let's, uh, let's be serious. I'm okay. I'm Enoch Daniel. This is my co-host, Social Woodbine. And we welcome to the Brody Safa podcast. Thank you so much for joining us, Jonathan. Thank you very much for that lovely introduction. Um, yes. Any corrections or redactions? Uh, no, none. Uh, that was very well researched. I, uh, yeah, so um, I am an impressive guy. <laughs> Mind if I take off my jacket? Absolutely, go right ahead. Yeah, you got to get comfortable, comfortable, brother. You're going to be here a while. Uh, Jonathan, just tell us tell us a little about you. Tell us about your journey through school and law yeah. and what led you back into the family business and how so, that all came about. Yeah. Um, I, from a very young age, knew I wanted to go to Tulane University because I had an aunt and uncle living down there. And as a young child, we went to go visit them. And uh, I saw the city and fell in love with it because how do you not fall in love with the world? Yeah. And... Then I did exactly as much work in school as I needed to get into Tulane. Not one drop more. Um, <laughs> and, uh, Sounds oddly familiar, yeah. Yeah. I, I applied to three places. Uh, one reach school, one Tulane, and one safety school. And mm -hmm. I got into Tulane. And then I was done. Um, Perfect. Yeah. And uh, thoroughly enjoyed it and loved my friends there like family. In fact, we... Uh, you can still communicate. There's about 25 families from Tulane that are in a fantasy football league, but that's just a pretense to hang out. The winner every year of the league chooses and organizes the draft location. Oh. So we'll be in Oregon or New Orleans or Vermont or Louisville. I mean, just anywhere. Uh, and then 25 families get together, you know, one or more airbnbs and uh have a long weekend of it That's really and we great. have weekly zoom meetings and movie watchings it's just second family they're great people 70 percent of them wonderful people so you know i uh, started out pre-med like everybody uh -huh. um and then got into a chemistry course where the safety video they tell you not to do the things and i ended up impaling one of my hands on a pipette just right through it said, <laughs> this is a sign from god <laughs> um, it's good to pay attention to those signals from the universe yeah. That's well you know i walked out of a chemistry exam hating myself and everybody i knew just miserably unhappy and i went this can't be you know a calling right you know, See, that's were... why that's why you're better than me. See, I, I walk out of something hating myself and thinking it must be something wrong with me. I'm yep. going to double down on this. No, yeah, <laughs> I just want to point out so far, I'm like pretty sure I'm going to hate Rudner like the most out of all the people we interview because I'm just sitting here going, this is the most foreign thing I've ever heard. This dude like has just had it down and just been in touch with the universe oh. from the get go. Um, so yeah, thank you. Um, yeah, yeah, it was backhanded. Yeah, it was no. a loving kind of hatred. So go yeah. on. I yeah. always thought we could be best of friends. <laughs> yeah. So, um, right. I thought I was in love with a girl who was bad for me. We've all been there. But what a wonderful life lesson because it kind of teaches you what you don't want, I guess. Left there uh, and started law school two weeks before Katrina hit and then actually went down there with a truck to help some people out 
relatives, the uncle, aunt and uncle that I had there, mm. um, and lived there for that summer with tanks rolling down the street and no services because every professional had moved away. And it was a really weird experience. Wow. Um, and it's really hard to focus in law school when you're constantly watching the news and seeing a city that you've just moved out of flooded. So a lot of law schools have a reputation for being difficult to get in and then uh, they don't fail you out no matter how hard you try. University of Memphis uh, on the opposite side of that coin will let you in, but then they will uh, gladly fail you out. They've got a couple of flunk out classes. Hmm. And uh, my grades were fine to get in the University of Memphis uh, law school. Uh, but I was not prepared to think like a lawyer, which is something they teach you to do in law school. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get it until later on. One of the failout classes was civil procedure. And there was a guy named Robert Banks who taught it. So the University of Memphis at the time was at the end of its life for the law school and the building that it was in. And they used to let all of the law students smoke in the school, well beyond when you could smoke in buildings. Um <laughs> And the seats still had ashtrays in front of every chair in, because that's, I guess, how you used to do it. The professors, though, would still smoke even when the <laughs> students couldn't. So they knew you were jonesing for a cigarette. I don't <laughs> smoke. My, all my friends did, though. So they'd be up there teaching you something, you know, just really letting you have it. So, <laughs> and he taught this really obtuse type of law called civil procedure. The best way I explain it is you can win a case on the facts, you've got really good facts and you just got it. And then you can win a case on the rules. You can kind of manipulate the rules and say that this wasn't filed in the same time. Well, he was teaching the rules of it, but it was very, very obtuse and difficult to understand. He had a hard time drilling into our heads. He'd stand back there with his sweatpants on. They were a little too tight and just rock back and forth. And we'd say- He was wearing sweatpants? Yeah, we're we're talking law school sweatpants. Smoking yeah, sure. cigarettes and sweat with sweatpants at the front. He's a professor. What does he care? What a great um, character. But anyway, he, he had this great Southern accent. There's one exam in law school per class. You don't know if you know the material or not. You kind of know if you don't know it, but you don't know your grasp of it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we were sitting there going, Professor Banks, we don't understand this. And the exam is tomorrow. It's 24 hours. What are we going to do? And he just rocked back and forth and he go, there's still time, brothers. There's still time, brothers. <laughs> and uh, th- that's not helpful. Anyway, no. half of the class failed. Uh, this mandatory class that you have to pass. Half the class passed. I got a C. Nice. Thrilled to have had the C. Um, but they tack your grades up on a wall in the public office, uh, like lounge, uh, when your grades are there. And it's organized by social security number. So it doesn't say, you know, Jonathan, what you made. Mm-hmm. but uh there's this guy he's a real estate lawyer now he stood there in front of everybody going i got an a <laughs> i got an a <laughs> as sweet as she could be saw it literally falls to her knees tears pouring down her face going i can't do it again hyperventilate i can't i can't take that class again i know it's required i can't do it and he looks at her and he goes well i got an a <laughs> <laughs> I would have stolen the social security number right then and there. Yeah. Uh, he was a goofy guy. He was one of those guys whose family and all of his brothers were in a law firm. He knew exactly what he was doing. <laughs> I was in law school because I wasn't going to go to medical school. So uh, I did fairly well, kind of skated by 
uh, without trying too hard in law school and made okay grades. And uh, the problem with doing that is then the bar exam comes around and it's a two day long test. Mm. And I failed the bar exam the first time I took it because I didn't have a good grasp of the, uh, the material. I remember and that you disappeared for like six months after that. So uh, yeah, went to clerk for a judge after that and had a really interesting experience doing that. I've got a lot of stories, but uh, the judge is a sweetheart of a man and the people in the judges, the clerks in the office were, were great people, but it turns out that um, one of the guys was stealing a lot of money oh, uh, wow. named Brandon. Um, and there's a big While investment. you were there? Like you, you... Yeah, Brandon uh, is not gonna do well in prison. Um, but basically what he did was when you have your house foreclosed upon, they sell the house and then they pay the bank or your whoever you owe money to what there's owed and any additional money should go into your pocket. Brandon had a third party company he created that just collected all that money. So there's a big investigation that was nothing to do with the judges, just to do with the clerks down there. But then I asked the judge, who's hiring? I don't know what kind of law I want to do. And he goes, well, there's this really good boutique family law firm. Um, and I went to work for them. Uh, I was the third lawyer. And um, so that's how you got into family law. It was just like, yeah, they happen to be hiring. And you're like, yeah, you know, that of the firm. Horrible, horrible time to apply to be a lawyer. I sent out 20 applications. I got three interviews. I mean, it just nobody was getting jobs back then. And uh, I really wanted to do elder abuse law because who's more <laughs> sympathetic than grandma? You know, wait, wait, you just wanted to be uh, better call Saul. <laughs> I mean, I would have been really good at it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh incidentally i family law has the highest incidence of violence towards attorneys um I believe that criminal attorneys you know you know you committed a crime and this guy's trying to help you out or the other guy's part of the system he's just the, the police sent in a record and now they're prosecuting you whereas family law you wake up one morning and your wife and kids are gone. Your money is gone. You don't have your house and your best friend's gone because he's sleeping with your wife. Um, so you wake up one morning and everything's gone. That's enough to wreck a person. Yeah. Um, and unfortunately, there's a prominent Memphis attorney that we knew that was murdered by one of his clients. Wow. And still, I found myself in this field. You're like, ah, I'll give it a shot. <laughs> yeah, we, we represented some some celebrities and still family law is is really invasive in your life and really difficult and um the thing that bothered me is that there was no correlation between effort and success hmm. no matter how hard i worked a case judges are people and an internal bias and uh hmm. maybe it reminds them of an ex-wife or ex-girlfriend or maybe they read the other pleading and it just sort of primed them to think the other thing and maybe your client uh, is not listening to what you say, or maybe they just are dead set on settling for something that you know is not the best deal. So no matter how hard you worked or built a file, it's just there's the results didn't match up. Also, unfortunately, in family law, you wake up and potentially everyone you interact with hates you. So you wake up and you're the attorney and you're telling your client, stop drinking, stop beating your kids, you know, stop sleeping with the person you're divorcing. And they're mad at you for that. The other side hates you because you're their 
divorcing spouse's attorney and you you're the prince of darkness as far as they're concerned mm-hmm. their attorney at least has to kind of pretend to hate you even if they're one of your friends because there's some theatrics to it yeah and the judge hates you because you're clogging up their court so on any given day everyone you interact with hates you and they don't necessarily pay their bills so there was a day seven to eight years into doing family law where did you practice that that long i remember you were very unhappy I was. I wasn't. I wasn't great at it either because I wasn't really good at billing people, which is a skill they don't teach you in law school, but very mm. important. Oh, important if you uh, want to keep the lights on. Yeah. Yeah. This is why so, I don't own my own shop too. I don't know. You have to track everything you do at all times. So, I think all of my customers together, clients together, owed me about two hundred fifty thousand dollars. I knew I wasn't going to see. Wow. I had a paralegal that ran out of the office crying every day because she couldn't take it. She'd then go sit in her car and put herself together one way or another and uh, come back. But that was an everyday occurrence. And uh, my dad, who was the CEO then of our manufacturing company, called me up and he said, listen, we just had one of our sales guys quit. Uh, I'm not going to want to be CEO forever. I'm going to want to retire. And I want you to come in and learn the business before I retire. And sales is a good place for you to be. So I, he hit me at just the right moment. I decided I was going to stop doing the family law thing and, and transfer over into the manufacture and sales of uh, hair care products, which is started by my grandfather. And uh, I did on the road sales for that for many years to Walmarts and Targets and CVSs and Walgreens and 10,000 little mom and pop shops. Then uh, my dad retired last September, two Septembers ago now, not the previous one, the one before. And uh, I was raised to CEO because I was a lucky sperm. Um, (laughs) And uh, man, that nepotism. Couldn't Mm. have it to a better. Uh, Oh, thank you. Um, Well, and so I, uh, I guess I, I think I, I had at some point I had it in my head that, you know, you went into law sort of thinking like you'd get a skill set, but always sort of thought you would go into business with your dad. But it's, it sounds more like it wasn't quite that clean of a path. So uh, to that point, when my, my mom's an only child, her father had started the company. He got very old and senile and there was litigation about the family business that's very complicated and, and went on for a long time. Sure. Um, but there were a point in time where we didn't know that we would end up with the business. Uh-huh. Um, it looked like the business would be sold or taken by um, attorney and uh, accountant mm-hmm. that was not associated with the family. So in my head, I knew that I needed to be able to support any family I eventually had with my own two hands, mm-hmm. regardless of what came to me or didn't. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was developing a skill set with no expectation whatsoever and didn't pay attention to what was going on with my parents, you know, just cursory understanding of what went on with them sure. because I wasn't going to expect it. And by the way, it could all go away tomorrow. Uh, and I would go back to practice of some sort of law. Sure. Um, so, I mean, my, my parents did an excellent job investing into the company and it's, you know, more than twice as big as it was when they came to it and we're having our best years ever, knock on wood. 
and I'm going to be millions and millions and millions of dollars into debt while we <laughs> expand it. I'm about to be the brokest guy you've ever met uh, <laughs> if we get some approvals from the bank. And, but, you know, in the furtherance of growing a company. No, it's just, it, that's just a world I, uh, I, I know very little about. And I'm always amazed with what it takes to grow a company of that size. And uh, what you've told me sounds really exciting. And, you know, you sound like you're moving in exciting directions and you're doing great things with the company. Well, you know, I was going to try to be a science fiction writer, but that didn't work out. And then I was going to try to sell uh, N95 masks and that didn't work out. And, you know. You know. You try a couple things, then you finally find something that sticks. That My sounds like a total loser that would try those two. You should try, you should try podcasting. Bullshit is that? That's <laughs> <laughs> fine. That's crap. Um, hey everyone, Enoch here. Quick note, in case it wasn't clear, I am the guy that Jonathan is poking fun at here. I do like to spend my time writing weird fiction and trying to get it published. I also started a mass company which failed miserably. And now I have a blog and a podcast because clearly this is just what I do. If you are interested in checking out a weird little story I wrote, you can find it on the web at Teleport Magazine. The story's called Broken Glass. I'll put a link to it in the show notes. Anyway, that's all. Back to the conversation. Hey, on a more important uh, uh, note here, though, you're into to hair care products, and I just kind of noticed how yours is a little bit lacking and yet mine is glorious and i just didn't know if you needed me to be a a, a spokesperson for you guys so uh just keep that in there and uh, oh i i, I think you're more of a face than a mouth um we might uh might use you for a model but uh, i'm not sure we'd ever use you for uh for oh no 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 yeah yeah you're right i i, I, I misspoke yeah. which yeah Probably um, itself to that no spokesperson thing. Um, no, but, you do uh, I could be a pretty hair. face for you. Uh, so what 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 products do you use, man? That's just uh, genetics, baby. Oh wow! Well, yeah, that's suave right there. Wow, it's really nice. <laughs> uh, ours is probably a brand you're not recognizing, or a few brands you haven't recognized. Um, uh, primarily sold to uh, people with thicker textured hair. You've got that really fine hair. Uh, yeah, this would that's true. Hair. 4B, 4C kind of hair. Um, Man, he's using big words. A number and a letter. Yeah, yeah, that's huge. those are big words. Whoa. Don't throw us all this, all this lingo. Big. <laughs> um, he's a sexy son of a bitch. He's just throwing out the jargon, you know, just to put us in our place. I we're know, right? Hey, quit talking down to me. Yeah, we're, we're not L'Oreal's or Procter & Gamble or Brevlon or anybody <laughs> like that. Those guys could uh, crush us under their thumbs without losing any sleep over it. But we do a good job, and we, uh, we're we trying to. You know, we've, we've got a lot of orders we need to fill. And, but, yeah, that's always exciting, and I'll send you a care package one day, okay? Sweet, because, uh, yeah. yeah, I've got some family members <laughs> who do have that thicker, thicker hair, and they always yeah. like that sort of stuff, the free I, stuff, that is. I use our product in my hair, but, I mean, I... I mean, I've gotten one haircut in the last COVID pandemic, so I mean, like, it's, I'm, not, yeah. I'm not the face. You're doing what you can. So, uh, yeah, so I became CEO, and my first question to other people I knew was, what does a CEO do? Yeah, right. Yeah. Right. Um, and I think you have to golf, don't you? Like, I was yeah, about to say, was the answer join a country everything? club immediately? So, uh, you know, our people are not allowed to join country clubs. That's true. Um, That's true. <laughs> 
Fresh, fresh communist under your boot heel? Is that, is that what you do? <laughs> you have to know everything, at least a little bit about everything, and communicate that, and then have an idea that you're going. And ultimately, you're responsible for everyone and everything. Yeah. And I've got 120 people directly that are responsible. Uh, I'm responsible for it. No telling how many stylists un and store owners whose income are at least partially due and owing to our products. Hmm. Um, and if I mess it up, then a lot of people are going to be in trouble. And uh, that includes firing people who aren't working out, which is not easy to do. And making decisions about the allocation of resources and then sort of trying to articulate a direction. You know, being sales was easy. The metric that you were judged on is, did your sales go up? It doesn't matter if you're sitting at your desk, you're sitting on the moon. If you have more sales, then you're a good salesman. Yeah. Um, being a CEO, I mean, there's, we recently increased the salary of all of our employees. It was the right move to do. It allowed us to get more qualified individuals. Our, it came right from the bottom line. Um, right. You know, there's no passing the buck. I used to be able to say, well, I'm going to have to ask, uh, the CEO or the president, if we're allowed to do that. Now, toss that to the old man. <laughs> yeah, now, now I just have to say no. Yeah. Sorry, I don't want to do that. Sorry. It's some customers are just incredibly nice people. And some customers would run over their own mother if it means they could save a dollar. And, you know, we, uh, you balance it all. It's an interesting world. Yeah. Um, you earlier, you were saying, you know, the, the, the thing that probably it felt like one of the things that really super turned you off about family law was the fact of the effort did not match the return. You know, yeah. it, it just seemed all nebulous and whatever. Do you, do you find now though in this role as CEO, because you know, it's going to be some similar thing of, Hey man, I gave it, I did everything right. Did all the right things. And yet, still blew up on me but do you find it's less than that or is it an acceptable amount now so that's a great question so and uh you should have a podcast the way i can answer that question is this if you started a hair care line or hair care product today at your kitchen table mixing some stuff up you would have a one in ten thousand shot of being successful uh you don't know the players you don't know the rules you don't know the regulations you don't have a uh, reputation that people can rely on. Um, and you could put a lot of money, an equal amount of money pushing that product that I put into, and your odds of success would still be about one in 10,000, give or take. Whereas if I came out with a product today and put my brand name on it and pulled those strings that I know and designed the product that I know using the market intel that I have, uh, I'd probably have about a one in four chance of success. A and it's not binary. I'm a big believer that there's not a lot of binary in life. Um, it's, you know, maybe it's 50% as successful as some of our other products, but, you know, there's a threshold where you still do it because it's uh, putting money to your bottom line. And not everything can be an A-plus home run product. You can build a kingdom upon C and B minus products. You just get a lot of them out there and, you know, maybe this one puts 10,000 to the bottom line and that one puts 20,000 to the bottom line. Maybe your A plus product puts 38 million to the bottom line, you know, hundred million, however big you are. But, you know, you get a lot of those little B minus C guys and you're doing fine. So 
there are a lot of people with a lot of ideas, um, but I am a name that the people who make decisions know. The guys at the large retailers, they might have uh, somebody that's only been there six months and they have a lot of red teeth they have to go through. The biggest customers that represent those 10,000 mom and pop shops, that's just a guy. He makes a decision. If he likes it, it goes in the stores and in the magazine. If he doesn't like it, then it's not. If he really likes it, he'll push it. He'll tell mm -hmm. all the sales guys, this week, you really need to get this on some shelves. Mm -hmm. And if he really doesn't like you, you're not going in there. Yeah. You don't stand a chance of success. Um, being reliable is a big part of it. We own a manufacturing facility. We make it. Um, but, but a good question. So the other thing is you get to be creative and you get a few cracks at it. And, you know, maybe we'll launch 10 products a year and maybe uh, two or three of them do really well. Um, mm. The other thing is just because they're not doing really well right now doesn't mean that 10 years from now, they won't get a lot of momentum. Hmm. Um, I didn't know so, you guys were launching that many new products on a yearly basis. Well, that's the goal. So yeah, we'd like to do that many. We, we haven't because of COVID. Mm -hmm. um, but, you know, if all goes well this year, I've got easily that many that I, that I could come through with. Wow. Um, you got yeah. anything like uh, Gwyneth Paltrow's, like, you know, her own scent, her own essence. I believe she marketed her badge. I want the Rudner Man Musk. If you, if, does Rudner have a, like. Call it the Rudner Rut. The Rudner Rut. Is that coming <laughs> out? Can I get your ball sack on my head? I invite you to try it personally. <laughs> okay. Uh, but. Uh, well, I mean, it, like, what? yeah, how do we test this out? I mean, <laughs> who's signing up for this? So, uh, I'll be there, baby. No, unfortunately. Uh, no, no, I'm going to say fortunately. Fortunately. <laughs> you know what? Stop that. Reverse it. Um. <laughs> to our customers i'm i'm a known guy to our consumers they they don't need to know i mean do you sure. know who's making your toothpaste you know they, they, there's no name to it um it's dahlia moonstar she makes yeah. it in her bathtub mcconaughey's selling lincoln so it's you know you're right you're right i'm following um, you i'm picking up what you're putting down baby yeah so what how did you how did you develop i i i can imagine the idea of being a CEO of an established company that has multiple employees and all of these ties everywhere, there's a lot of people depending on you. Like that's a very, it's a scary role to step into. Like, how did you feel like you developed a skill set to be able to do it properly? So school's never out for the professional. Yeah. In uh, any professional, if you think you know it all, you're wrong and you have to constantly have your antenna up to keep learning. Uh, so I don't think that I've perfected anything yet. I also make it a habit to put my energies behind that which I can affect something. And I make an effort to let go of the things that I can't control at that time. I put in motion things that I can. Uh, but if I can't deal with it right now, I'm going to try to live in the moment and deal with the things that I can. And... There's a, a philosophy of being the boss that your job is not to do everything. It's to put the right butts in the right seats. And then once you've done that, your job is to listen to the expertise that you're paying for. Hmm. And maybe you don't know everything about accounts, or maybe you don't know anything about the accounting, or maybe you don't know anything about the marketing. 
you have a qualified individual there. You say, what are you leaning towards? And if they give you a well-reasoned argument, you're undermining yourself if you're not listening to them. Hmm. And maybe you have right. other information from another department or another source that, that they don't have because you're listening to everybody all the time. But you know, your job, the people who are being the boss and are still the attorney or the doctor or the mechanic or whatever they're doing, they're doing it wrong. Their job mm -hmm. no longer is to do that. Their job is to be the boss of the business that does that thing. Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, I'm gonna, when I go to a sales show, I'm going to show up for a day and shake the right people's hands. And then I'm going to leave the selling to the salesman. You know, right. even though it's something I'm intimately familiar with, I trust the people I hired to do that. And I've had to fire people who I no longer have trust in, um, mm. for one reason or another, um, which is difficult to do because you don't know what their life is going to be like. And maybe they're friends of yours. Yeah. I have, through a professional working relationship, become friendly with people that I've had to terminate. Wow. Um, and it's not, it's not good. Yeah. Um, but you owe it to the other group of people that are relying on you to not let this one person jeopardize their family's income. Well, I'd, I'd like to get and kind of try and tie this back to, you know, this whole trying to be a, a better man kind of thing. In, in order to do that, in order to be the best that you can be, you know, CEO, the, the keep the head on your you know, level head, be a good boss, trust the people, let all, you know, let everything play out and, and be a responsible uh, CEO. What, what, what do you do for your, your personal life to kind of like re-energize so you don't get burnout, have the ability to keep the antenna up without being cynical now or, or getting, you know, jaded or how do you keep it all balanced with your personal life? You know, kind of like I would say recharging the batteries so that you can then, you know, get up every day and, and do this job. So uh, I, I think I'm blessed with a pretty big bandwidth, uh, which is not something that I've um, uh, ever said about your penis, I know, but. <laughs> Thank you. Hey, listen, I've got two children, which means I've had sex exactly twice. Um, Boom. So, um, so uh, I would say that my mindset to that is I'm going to work as hard as I can uh, for as long as I can about the things that are important. And then um, if something doesn't get done, I don't have any regrets that I didn't do it. Uh, I've also, since I was young, ha uh, have a, and I'm sure that every person who does a lot of things has sort of developed something like this, but it, it's a reward system. So I uh, will tell myself I'm going to work very hard for a solid hour on something and then I'm going to reward myself with a coffee break or playing 15 minutes of a game or calling up, you know, some customer just to chat and be friendly uh, to try to recharge the batteries. And then I'm going to go back and I'm going to set another goal and it's another hour or 30 minutes or whatever. And then I'll get up and stretch my legs, whatever it is. So every day is a series of rewards for myself. Um, and if something doesn't get accomplished, I'm, uh, I'm not hard on myself. That's the other thing is that you have to remember that in life, you know, you got to be forgiving. Uh, some stuff is not going to go the way you want. You're not going to do everything you meant to do, but don't beat yourself up about it. We're in a 
quarantine boil water order in the middle of the biggest snowstorm the city's ever had, in the middle of the biggest public health crisis the city has ever, the country, the world's faced in a hundred years. Um, and I've got a five month old son, like, you know, and a three year old daughter. I, not everything is gonna go the way I want. What's important to me? Doing the things that are important to the business and keeping it going, keeping my wife happy, teaching my kids and creating a, a good environment for them where they're not overwhelmed with the difficult things in life. You know, I'll be there for them. What's important to me, you know, I, I just, I'll make a decision and go with it. It's time to play with the kid. Let's play with the kid. The kid watched a little bit more cartoons today than I wanted her to. That's all right. You know, every kid that comes out of this is going to be a little weird anyway. And any kid of mine was going to be pretty weird anyway. So it's all right. Um, so, so I, take back the, I take back the penis comment. This, uh, any man who walks around with that solid of a philosophy and can just articulate it that way, that, that's, that's a man's man right there, folks. And um, I'd watch out for him. I appreciate it. I actually, your can't, your mic kind of went out and I thought you had said something very complimentary about my penis earlier. So uh, I was just going to let that ride. Um, <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, yeah. Yeah. That's what maybe that's actually the secret uh, right there is just hear what you want to folks. And really good point. Sorry. You know, no, go, go ahead. Go ahead. But I, have a just huge amount of self-esteem and I understand that that can be a flaw but part of it is if somebody tells me that I'm wrong and it's obvious to me that I'm not or somebody doesn't like something I'm doing instead of going and saying well gosh I need some real deep self-evaluation I just go well that guy's wrong and you know just drop Move it in that, and then I go do what I want and I, I I have this confidence that's probably unearned but it's worked yeah. for me. I mean, <laughs> if you climb a mountain once, you know you can climb a mountain. You don't have to do it every day, but you kind of need back your head, you know, I can do that. And I've done difficult things uh, and I've been successful at them. Um, I'm not saying I've done more difficult things than anybody else. It's just, I keep that front of mind. I, I wear those badges pretty proudly. Well, in my conception of you, and I don't know if this is your conception of you, but in my conception of you, that is that core self-esteem of yours is one of your defining characteristics. And I think it's, I think it's wonderful. And I think it makes part of why you're such a balanced human being and a solid man is that you're just, you're more than just about anybody I know, very comfortable in your own skin and comfortable with your agree. own abilities. And I, I just like, I want to know for us and for our listeners, how the fuck do you do that? Yeah, Did you just wake up that way one day. Yeah, or... were you born that way? Was it something you trained? What What was it? Did you get nurse until you were nine years old, and I, I missed out on that? Yeah, <laughs> is this a Jewish thing? It's a Jewish thing. So, isn't it? so we're not sure uh, what Jesus was, but none of us Jews are surprised that his mother thought he was the son of God. Um, <laughs> Uh, as as someone who lives with a Jewish mother, I and, and has a Jewish son, I, I get it. Yeah, <laughs> I'm very jealous. I'm so jealous. So, um, 
I, I think that my dad is largely to thank for it. He's a fantastic guy. And he, um, you know, he, he was the son of doctors and a doctor family and expected to be a doctor. And he was very comfortable going and being a corporate real estate guy. Um, you know, he, he got into martial arts before it was cool in like the 60s and ended up teaching. He taught martial arts at the Quaker School for the Disturbed. I thought you were going to say he trained at Elvis's dojo. I was going to get really excited. He trained at Elvis's dojo. Yeah! But, <laughs> now that's a story. Now that, yeah. Before Elvis started there. Cool. It, it was a place called Congrees and it was across from the Memphis Zoo. And my dad had stopped that and he was either, I guess he was back at college. But anyway, huh. um, yeah, my dad lived on a farm with this guy named Dirt and learned how to work and um he did not the guy's name was not dirt guy's name was dirt and um at one point the this woman showed up to the door and said dirt this baby girl is yours and i'm not gonna raise her and my dad and dirt had to raise an infant daughter together while my dad was going through school and owning a restaurant called the parsley tree and teaching martial arts at the quaker school for disturbed youth wow Wow. So, yeah, he's an interesting guy. And he also was doing transcendental meditation with the Maharishi Mahashi Yogi and all that stuff. Wow. Um, and uh, he told me from a young age that uh, if you're going to argue, make sure you're right. And then, you know, that just kind of stuck with me. If I'm going to plant my flag and, and dig in my heels, I'm going to try to be right. Hmm. And I train myself to think in sort of an organized way. As far as asserting my efforts on things, um, when I'm focused on something, I try to be focused on that thing and not worrying about everything else that I can't control at that moment. So let's focus in on this one thing and let's do a lot of research on it and let's put things on Excel spreadsheets or let's get everything together in an email. And if you're wrong, be quick to admit it and move on to the next thing because you've got an opportunity every day to be right about an infinite amount of things. And if you're wrong, be wrong quick, fail fast. That's an important lesson. A lot of people linger like in their failure. Fail mm. fast and move on. Mm. That's awesome. Yeah, I love that. Rudner, that's, that, is a, that is a quote right there. Well, my, my name is Jonathan, but you can call me Rudner. So, Quit it. Uh, I don't know why, but everybody calls me <clears throat> Rudner and um, I'm dark complexed and I have a beard. In college, we knew this Turkish guy named Chinar. It means oak tree, and he's a certainly nice guy. He was Chinar, and I was Rudner. And one day, a friend of mine I had known for years asked me what my last name was. <laughs> and he said, your name's Rudner Rudner? <laughs> Is that a Turkish thing? Do they yeah, know they That's hilarious. Yeah. Definitely um, did not know my first so name. <laughs> I was almost Henry IV. Uh, and then... My dad said, that's too many Henrys. We can't keep doing that. Uh, one wow. too many. Yeah, so uh, they said- Fail well, fast. What, so what can we call him? And they're like, well, maybe Henry is a middle name. What about John Henry? John Henry was a working man. They're like, no, 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 we, we got to lose, lose the Henry part. We'll keep the John and make it Jonathan. The Henry's um, just gone. Straight yeah, my, uh, <laughs> my dad wanted to call me uh, Gonzo Moretti Rudner. Nice. 
Yeah, and then my son was almost Gonzo Moretti. Maybe his son will be Gonzo Moretti. Gonzo's going to get caught somewhere along the way. I think so. We're going to keep working it. Damn those Muppets. Well, tell me, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, I know you're close, but nobody's perfect. Like, uh, how do you you keep yourself sane, man? What do you do to take care of yourself when you're not working and excelling at everything you try? I mean, so I, I work all... I mean, obviously it's COVID and I haven't been going into the office as much as, as I can, but like, you know, I come home and I give my children everything I have. And, you know, I, then I go to work and I give work everything I have. It's those rewards during the day that you are working to something and now you're going to go out and you're going to have a 15 minute coffee break or whatever. And mm-hmm. you, you just, you all day long is a reward system. You don't have to sit there and go, I'm going to lock my door and I'm, I don't have a place in my house. I'm in, as I showed Enoch earlier, a, a, a guest room sitting on the floor. I mean, you know, it's just, I, I don't need to like recharge my batteries. You know, I, I do things for entertainment. You, we probably watch one episode of a television show a day. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I, uh, at night, uh, between the hours of about uh, 12 and 1 a.m., I try to do an hour on the stationary bicycle, and mm-hmm. I'll watch something I know my wife isn't interested in on HBO or something on my phone, um, but that's to not die of a heart attack at 45, mm-hmm. um, and, uh, you know, I- You still I make read- it into the comic shop? What's that? You still making it to the comic shop on a weekly basis? Yeah, so that, in law school, everybody had a vice. That's the only way they could survive it. And some people mm-hmm. were doing hard drugs and some people were getting high and some people were alcoholics. Uh, and every Wednesday, I would shut down and read comic books. And, you know, I'll go and spend whatever, $10, $20, getting comic books, reading them. Not even ones I necessarily love, just the stories continuing or like the art or something. Yeah. Um and uh, now I'm sort of slowly trying to organize those, but that's just so my kids know what I have. Yeah, um, there's a nice little database you can put it all in. <laughs> well, it's part yeah. of the fun too. Like the or- the organizing is it's it's part of it, you know. Ugh. No. You say so. <laughs> um, you know, I uh, I uh, there's not much, man. I I don't need to do something unique to charge up. It's just wow. yeah, you do it during the day. Um, I'm even trying to cut back on the coffee, but I think once the pandemic's over, it's a nice routine. Yeah, Yeah. sure. Yeah. Um, So, yeah. I I don't know if we'll ever interview anyone like Jonathan Rudner again, Enoch. I mean, this is... You can have me back. Yeah, I think we're going to have to, brother, because um, you may or may not realize this due to your incredible self-esteem, but uh, you are definitely an enigma. So, I don't think so. I think that at least what I know of Eno is he's far too hard on himself. Um, yeah. And there's, there's so much good there. And perhaps it's what has driven you to be as successful as you are, is that you've got this, um, this, this sense that you were unaccomplished or you are not satisfied with your accomplishments. Hmm. Um, in truth, you're one of the top most accomplished people in, in the world. Um, and yet you don't view it that way. You think you should be doing something with an artistic bent or you should be doing something with a, a business bent or something like that. And maybe you need those outlets as well, but like that's not at the detriment of what you've already done and accomplished. Mm-hmm. Um, and 
you know, I, I, I mentioned that I'm very, very forgiving of myself because, you know, we have a lot of time on this earth. It's finite, but we have a lot of time. And if it didn't work out today or work out tomorrow, maybe you didn't do the thing you wanted to, but you, Enoch, like, you know, you have done some things where you, you've sort of wondered the depths of your own soul. I mean, you know, have you found satisfaction in your digging? Have you found meaning? That's have you found great... peace? Have I found what? Peace. Weed? Oh, I thought you said weed. Isn't <laughs> <laughs> any weed in what? there? Um, weed? I, I think it's in the work that the satisfaction is found. Like I, you know, maybe it's the idea of an unexamined life isn't worth living. Um, I, all I know is that in the past few years, I came to realize a strong sense of dissatisfaction and maybe it's middle-aged malaise. Maybe it's like, I've accomplished all of this. And then you look around and think, uh, what was it all for? Like, is this it? Is this the big prize? You know, do this for 20 more years and then keel over. Yeah. And so I've, you know, that led me down a path of, of digging a lot. Now I will tell you, I'm in a much better place and have a lot more peace. And I feel like a lot more personal understanding than I did a couple of years ago. Um, and I, you know, I, I don't think I'm there, but I think that's sort of what this is all about. Talking about talking with guys and, and uh, trying to figure it out. So um, I think that you have the unfortunate position of being a guy who always had goals set out in front of him and now that you've run the race yeah. you're um paranoid that you're not accomplishing a goal you're not running the race yeah i mean you know to to do everything you've done professionally yeah and, you get to a point where you think well what now what yeah well, <laughs> now what i'm supposed to do also i am not like you know the, the your self-forgiveness i think is a superpower like yeah. I, I am more along the lines of I heard I heard a uh, a, a podcast with Dak Shepard where he was talking about he's at a meeting and he's listening to this guy talking about you know slipping and falling off the wagon and getting back into alcohol again and he's like and I'm listening to this guy and I'm thinking God poor guy it's just so hard you know I totally get it it's just so hard he's like but you know I do the simplest little thing and I'm like yep always knew it you piece of shit. <laughs> so yeah De dak's my other hero that's exactly yeah. the way i wake up every day and i think that's kind of what we were getting you know, I know and, I, and, I and one of the things that i think has i've done a good job in my own personal journey over the past couple of years is i've been able to build a little space in my head to be able to say like hold on that voice that's calling me a piece of shit isn't me and you know, there, there's that that doesn't that doesn't have to define who I am. And I could I could let that voice be and kind of move on and do my thing. And that's one of the things, uh, one of the biggest things I've gotten from from meditation and 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 therapy and that sort of thing. Have you ever done any meditation? Well, I did it once and immediately achieved nirvana. Uh, and see, I've it been like doing it wrong. I knew like you got to show no, me how I, you. Did. I could totally, I totally knew, <laughs> totally knew. Rudner had done it once. I went to a golf course, right. hit 18 holes, shot 18. You know, it was like, <laughs> well, this is fun. Were you playing with Kim Jong-il? <laughs> <laughs> well, hit one hole, 
in one, bounced out, and went directly to the next hole. You hit like a 17. Oh, my God. Um, wow. So I, I said that you have to, um, you know, sort of live in the moment. And that's really hard to do, but I, I, I try to do it. The other thing I'm always thinking about, there's, there's internal and present, and there's, uh, there's present with an idea of others, and then there's an idea mm. in the future. Now, let me break this down a little bit. Obviously, be here now. You're here in the moment talking to me. You're sitting on your chair. You're aware of the air around you and the smells and everything else. There is, that's here. Now, there's here with perspective in as much as, God, you know, work might not be going the way I want it to, or I can't believe that they didn't have coffee or prune juice, whatever. Um, but you are living at the best time in history in the best way in history. And you could be in a place where you are starving or your family's dead or you're sick or all of these horrible things that could be happening. And no matter how bad your day is today, it is not nearly as bad as it could be. I would venture to say, no matter how bad the worst day in your life has been so far, mm -hmm. is not as bad as what's going on this very moment for millions of people. Sure. And there are people living in something that you would say objectively is horrible and they're happy people because they are, their perspective is different. Mm. So from a very young age, I realized no matter how bad it was for me, if I lost everything, if I had no family, no friends, no money, I could go live on a beach somewhere in a tent and get a library card and read a book and be happy. I could find happiness with nothing. Because there are people out there who will always have it worse than I. So you have to be understanding of that. And then there's the future self, which I'm a joke with my wife. I say it a lot, but like everything that I do that takes effort right now beyond what I want to do is a favor I'm doing for future Jonathan. <laughs> like I'm going to take out those dirty diapers because at 2 a.m. this morning, future Jonathan wouldn't have to do it if I didn't do it. So I'm doing a lot of stuff for me a few hours from now or a few days from now. Um, and I think that if you're constantly aware of what you're doing now in trying to help your that other guy out there, then your life is pretty good, especially if you're not weighed down by the little things when you realize how bad they can actually be. Hmm. Keep that in mind. Love it. Like that. I love it. All right. When did you first feel like you were a grown man? Uh, I still don't. I see playground equipment sometimes and think it'd be fun to play on. And I see commercials for college and go, can't wait to go there. Um, <laughs> I don't think of myself as a grown up. Nice work oh. in progress and comfortable in that space. I love that. Mm -hmm. So what does it mean to you to be a man and has your answer changed over time? So I think it means bearing responsibility and, uh, having obligations. I think that, um, to me, being a man means that when the rubber meets the road, you're going to be there. You have a sense of right and wrong, mm -hmm. and you act on the right more frequently than the wrong. Um, I think that being a man means being a role model and being a protector and being a provider. And I'm not trying to say that, you know, your spouse can't also provide or protect, sure. but, you know, the, the role in sort of a classic modern uh 
tradition of a man, it's not to put others down, but to lift others up. Nice. First be a mensch. Yes. What's the first rule? Do no harm. Yeah. That's yeah. what they say. Nobody, That's, I always tell, tell my that. kids, don't be a dick. Yeah, don't be a dick. Oh, don't be so, a dick. Don't be a dick. <laughs> Uh, yeah, no, that's one of my rules at work is, uh, let's not be assholes. Um, and, uh, you know, we're, we're too busy for bullshit, but we're not going to be assholes. That's awesome. What makes you feel vulnerable and what makes you feel brave? I don't feel vulnerable. I thought about it. Uh, and I don't, I'm, I'm not trying to sound arrogant, but like, I don't understand what, vulnerable is hmm. you're doing it right now yeah i would say you're you're yeah i think you're being vulnerable with us right now you're sharing I'm, honest. I'm not i'm not trying to change anything or convince anybody or but that's not that's not what it is i think you know sharing of yourself and being in that open honest space is being vulnerable so as, as far maybe as you're just comfortable any, in that space as far as there's any kind of introvert or extrovert where I've heard it described as you get energy being alone or you get energy being with people. I definitely get energy from being with people. So what I'm doing with you guys is energizing to me. Mm. Um, I'm not spending my battery, I'm recharging it. Um, so uh, that's the vulnerable thing. I thought about the question. I just don't have a great answer. And as far as bravery- okay. Yeah, what makes you feel brave? Bravery is doing what you have to do. I mean, when your wife hears a noise in the middle of the night and you hear it too, and it, it sounds spooky, mm -hmm. you get up and you go check it, not because you're brave, because you have to protect your family. Like, mm -hmm. you know, if you're not going to do it, and yeah, it's always nothing. But like, that's... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I, I've been trying to send my, the wife and just like feign, um, uh, like being tired or I don't really hear it. Been, I've been I've been acting. I love my wife very much, but I'm also not totally convinced that that gun wouldn't accidentally go off. <laughs> Handling of firearms is not a strong suit. <laughs> More about the, definitely about the blades. Um, so, uh, yeah, uh, you know, being brave means doing things that are tough. So, all right, when I was young. Did you ever do the Germantown Community Center? I've seen, I don't think I've ever been in it, but I know okay. it, yeah. When I was young, at least, they had a high dive that was at least a thousand miles high. Um, it was way higher than any high dive that you can imagine. And it might be because I was just small, but the ladder took forever to climb up. And I got scared. I turned around to go back down the ladder, but there were 200 people climbing the ladder behind me. And I had no option but to put one foot in front of the other until I was off the diving board and fell down into the water. And that's, I guess, bravery for me is just putting one foot in front of the other because that's what you have to do until you finally reach that big splash at the bottom. Nice. I think it's a great answer. That's I love not it. bad. It's a great answer. Yeah. Mm -hmm. All right, last question for you. What book or books have had the most influence on your life? So I read a book and I kind of obsess about the book or the series while I'm reading it. And then I move on to the next one and sort of obsess about that. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, I, I will say for the purposes of this discussion that Siddhartha really was helpful to me. I, I 
found that the philosophy in that was very um, refreshing. Yeah. Uh, because he, he tries to be a holy man. He tries to be a wealthy businessman. And then at the end, he just kind of understands that like the, the, the wisdom and enlightenment is sitting by a river and just understanding of the world. Yeah. Um, so I really, I like that. And I find a lot of peace in that. Um, and then um, th there's a way of thinking that I described earlier, not the whole book necessarily. And unfortunately, I think that the author Orson Scott Card ended up being quite of a xenophobic racist asshole. Um, but in the Ender Game series, the second book is called Speaker for the Dead. Yep. And in Speaker I love for the that Dead. series, Scott Card's kind of weirdness, notwithstanding, yeah. I think it's a wonderful ser book series. So there's a computer that the main character wears, is integrated with, called Jane. And Jane, at some point, describes um, different tasks that this artificial intelligence is performing as devoting different levels of energy to different uh, tasks based off of the importance that they're, they're doing right now. I let my subconscious deal with a lot of the stuff and I will put my energies behind the stuff that I need to, that I think are important. Everything else is on the back burner. Mm -hmm. So that way of thinking, it, I found very nice, very organized, you know, we're gonna deal with this, everything else is gonna come next, or I'm gonna put a little bit more energy on this that I'm thinking of over here while I'm dealing with that over there. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Nice. I think that's great, man. Uh, well, I think you guys are great. You have been so generous with your time and this has been yes. a super fun conversation. We'll have to have you back someday. This is my beautiful wife. Hello. Hello, beautiful Hello. wife. How That's are you, dear? I was telling you about. <laughs> I promised her earlier. I promised her earlier I would call her a bitch. No, <laughs> no. I can't wait until your dinner's here, asshole. Oh, good. <laughs> Thank you, beautiful, beautiful loving wife. <laughs> who's a, who makes who's an excellent cook blow it out your ass and makes beautiful children how's beef did he manage to squeeze out a turd i will cut his dick off myself before i do that no 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 what what he was asking how zach was oh i thought he said you plant on a third no <laughs> i thought you were gonna take the phallus off your child because he wouldn't yeah that was good i thought that was harsh years. I think this is a whole new episode. A whole new episode with you, Alex. <laughs> they, they, um, they're going to edit we gotta, it. We got to get her on. Very good. <laughs> we got to get her on the show ASAP. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, a little bit came out. We're good. still working on it. Good. Poor guy. <laughs> All right. Love you. I'll All be right. down in a minute. Hey, man. Thanks again for coming on. Love you guys. All right. Hey, you guys are great. Are we done recording? We're done. Yeah. Thanks so much, man. Well, folks, that's it for today's episode. Hope you enjoyed it. Hope you learned something. God knows we always do. Don't forget to subscribe so you can continue to follow along on this journey. And please join us. Let's get better together. Or at the very least, 10% less shitty. Remember, you can follow us on Twitter, Instagram, and now Clubhouse at TrueBrodySatva. That's true, T-R-U. And don't forget to check in at our blog, thebrodysattva.com, to keep up to date on what's going on in our world. As always, this show is written by Enoch Daniel and Sosh Woodbine, 
and produced by me. And special thanks to Scott Holmes, who wrote our theme music. Until next time, keep working, keep seeking, and keep living that Brody Sotva life. Bye now.